Okay, we're working through uh, some of the interesting sort of um, processes of the Old Testament. And so today we're in Numbers chapter 6. We're going to be looking at something called the Nazarite vow. And so you may have never heard of it, and we're going to talk all about it. Let's begin with brand loyalty. All right, so everybody has brand loyalty. You may not know it, but you do. And so there are certain things that you prefer in a brand uh, t- to something else. So my dad was a car guy, and he liked General Motors stuff, and he didn't like Ford stuff, and so his brand loyalty was to General Motors. So we're going to play a game, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out a category, and then you're going to tell me what your loyalty is to that category. So let's start with peanut butter. What is your brand loyalty? Smuckers, Jif. Yeah, all those are great. Okay, uh, what about fast food? What's your favorite? Where, where are my friends? Hugh and Magoo's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Hugh and Magoo, that's great. Uh, what about um, uh, cell phones? What, what's the best? Apple. Apple. Uh, okay. Uh, favorite fr- fishing rods? Where's Graham? What about ugly stick? Is that it one? All right, so I got that one right. Okay. Uh, what about running shoes? Wrong crowd, sorry. Uh, okay, okay, okay. It's all right. It's okay. <laughs> My bad. Uh, okay, so uh, we have favorites, right? We have favorites, and, and we're sort of devoted to them. If we could choose them, if that's our options, if our options are Chevy or Ford, and we're Chevy people, then we're going to pick a Chevy. And, and if our uh, options are iPhone or a, uh, Android, then we're going to pick an Apple if we're Apple people. And so we have this uh, idea that this is something to which we're devoted. And devotion, there's, there's usually an object. There's something I'm devoted to, you know, something I, I want to, to have. Now, there's this really interesting book by a guy named Scott Galloway called The Four, and he talks about, it's not a Christian book, so I don't know that I can recommend it, but it's really interesting, and he talks about these four companies that sort of occupy the imagination of American people, and one of them is Google, and he says, okay, so Google scratches the itch of the American public for, for this desire to have knowledge, so it kind of a, it is our head. We want to know things. And in some regards, Google has sort of become a god for people because they look to Google for answers. And then he talks about uh, our heart's desire. And he talks about how Apple sort of fills that niche like it is the thing that, um, that gives us some measure of status. And so Apple, if, if Apple people are a little bit um, snarky toward people who aren't Apple people, and so they'll say, you know, and even like if you have an Apple 75 or whatever number they're on right now, and, and the other people have an a- Apple 74.5, they're losers. So there's this sort, of, this sort of luxury and we're better than you kind of thing. And heaven forbid if you have one of those uh, uh, jitterbugs, uh, you know, nobody wants to know about that. And then Amazon sort of fills our need for consumption. And so if you want it, Amazon has it. And so it it sort of uh, fills that need. And then Facebook is the fourth one. And he talks about how that fills the need for people, lots of people, uh, to be accepted and liked and have relationships. And so you post something and you look to see how many likes you have or if anybody comments on it. And so that, that sort of, we have these loyalties to companies that give us something that we want. 
And then we have these loyalties to sports, these teams. And in this room right now, there are people who are Clemson fans, and there are Clemson fans, I don't ever say it right, and there are people who are loyal uh, to the Gamecocks, and um, really God doesn't care about either one of them, uh, but that's okay. And so we have these loyalties. And then if you're loyal to a player, people name their kids like Brady after Tom Brady or Peyton after Peyton Manning. We have a kid that comes to church named Colton because his dad is a Colts fan. And so he named him Colton. There's a, a, a golfer named um, Garcia, Sergio Garcia. He named his daughter, he had won the Masters in Augusta, Georgia, and he named his daughter Azalea because the Azaleas are in bloom when the Masters is going on. And then I, I have another couple. Uh, there's this, um, this couple in Alabama. You know they're crazy for the football, and so they named their daughter Crimson Tide. I know it's horrible. Uh, let me give you one more. The Seattle Seahawks, they have a defense, and we, I'm not a big... That's West, and I don't know a lot about that. But they have a defense, and the defense has a nickname, the Legion of Boom. Coach Turner, did you know that? You did know that? No, you didn't. Uh, you did? Okay, great. The Legion of Boom. Did anybody believe Coach Turner knew that? I don't know. Nobody. Nobody believes you. Okay. Legion of Boom. So they, they, they kind of go by this L-O-B, L-O-B, Legion of Boom. So there are some Seahawks fans, and they named their daughter L-O-B, Devotion. So uh, we, we have something we're devoted to, and then we act on that devotion. And, and there's this really super interesting verse in 2 Chronicles, Old Testament, that says the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God is looking for people who are devoted. And again, devotion has, there's an element or an object of the devotion. And so if you're an environmentalist, your object of devotion is the planet. And if you're a right to life person, your object of devotion is unborn children. And if you're a Christian missionary, your object of devotion is Jesus and you go places so that they will know about Jesus. And so we have this object of devotion and then we have an expression of the devotion. And for some people, that's a tattoo. For some people, that's wearing a ring, or you wave a flag, or you unfurl a banner, or you march, or you riot, or you picket. I mean, there's lots of ways to show your devotion. And so the Bible says that God is looking for people who are devoted, like, like really want to make a, a statement for, for the Lord. And, and the question for you today is, and I think I have a blank on your outline, and if you don't want your nosy neighbor, you don't have to write it down, but I want us to think about it just for about 30 seconds. What is the object, what occupies your devotion? Like if, if you were to boil it down and this is the thing that I'm most devoted to, what would you put on that line? Because it could be about anything. It could be family. It could be... It could be job, it could be relationship, it could be uh, money, it could be Jesus. And you're in church, you want to write Jesus, so just in case your neighbor is looking, you want to put Jesus down there. But what is it really? There's an object, and we all have an object of devotion. And so, in Numbers chapter 6, God has this 
this way of expressing exceptional devotion. Now, we're always to be devoted, but sometimes there are seasons where we, we feel like we want to do more, like God has been so good, or I'm desperate, and I, and I, want, to do, I want to just do more. And so God prescribes a way to do more. Look at what he says. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If a man or woman wants to make a special vow, if they want to do more, then this is how they do it. A, a vow of separation to the Lord. We're going to call it, God says, we're going to call it the Nazarite vow. And if you're looking this up, sometimes it's, called, it, it's spelled N-A-Z-I, and sometimes it's spelled N-A-Z-A. Either way, it's the, same, it's the same concept. And the one that you probably know, if you grew up in church at all, you know Samson from the Old Testament. He, he was a Nazarite from birth. His mother actually made the commitment for him. And, and Samson, you know, he had the hair, and then the hair got cut, and, and it was uh, Delilah. Cut, you know, you'd never get, uh, you got to watch women. Uh, and uh, uh, she led him astray and cut his hair and all that stuff. And, and you know the story of Samson, but there are others in Scripture. A, a lot of people believe Absalom, who was David's son, was, he had long hair. They kind of uh, presume that perhaps he was also a Nazarite. There's a really good chance that John the Baptist in the New Testament had a Nazarite kind of bent to him. The Paul from the New Testament, uh, the apostle, uh, at least twice it looks like he took some sort of a, a special vow of dedication to the Lord. This is an interesting thing. Now, let me show you a couple of really interesting things. This can be done by a man or a woman, which is super unusual in an era where it was predominantly male-dominated. Right? I mean, this, these societies were mostly male-dominated. So for God to say, hey, anybody can do this. doesn't have to be a man. So, so the priesthood was just for men. Certain things were just for men. But not this. Devotion to God, a special measure of devotion to God, could be anybody. It was, it's really interesting. And one of the cool things about Jesus is his ministry involved not just men. Now, he had 12 disciples, but the Bible tells us that there were women around him a lot. Mary and Martha. There were people who were hanging out. There, there's a lady named Joanna. She sort of sponsored you know, Jesus. And so you've got people who have resources, and there are women involved. And, and Jesus' ministry certainly had women in the mix. Now, uh, just an aside, did, did you hear about the family? They were in the hospital, and, and one of their relatives was very uh, ill. And, and so the doctor comes into the waiting room, and the family's there, and he said, well, I've got bad news. Your, your uh, relative is going to need a brain transplant. A brain transplant. Uh, now, this should clue you in that this is a joke. Uh, okay, just want to help you out. He's a brain transplant. He said, the good news is the, the insurance will pay for the procedure. The bad news is you're going to have to find, you're going to have to pay for the brain yourself. <laughs> well, one of the guys goes, well, what, what are brains going for? You know, like, what does that cost? And the doctor likes just a straight expression. He said, well, a male brain, $50,000, a female brain, $500. And I know it's going to get better. Yeah, just hold on, hold on, hold on. See, I knew that was going to get y'all angsty. I should have told you. It's, it's, ladies, it's going to be good. I promise. So, 
The, the guys are snickering, you know, like everybody in here right now. Every, every man's like, yeah, it makes sense to me. Uh, so they said to the doctor, why is the male brain so much more expensive than the female brain? And he said, well, it's, it's simple. He said, all right, let me give you an analogy. Um, you have a used car, and you're, you're, you're looking for a used car, and you find the same make and model, and they have the same uh, features, but one has 150,000 miles and one has 25,000 miles. The one that hasn't been used as much is more valuable. <laughs> the one that hasn't been used as much... I hope you got it. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. For Father's Day, I'm, I'm, I'm cracking on you. Uh, but today, that, that's for you. All right, so he's saying even men can do this. Men and women. And then it says... It says wants to. If, if you want to, you don't have to. He doesn't say you should. He just says if you want to. And there are seasons in our life where we feel, I think, two, two ways when you really are devoted. Sometimes it's because you're having a great experience. You, you have a mountaintop experience. Kids will go off to camp and youth will come back from camp or kids will come back from camp and they'll have a, a special connection to God and they want to do more. Uh, m- maybe adults, they go on a retreat or they, uh, they, they do something and, and they're uh, e- extremely blessed and, and they feel like God is really close and they want to do more. But sometimes it's a matter of desperation. Uh, maybe you're very desperate, like, like there's been a bad diagnosis or something's going on, and, and you want to show a special measure of devotion. You're kind of at the end of your rope. You don't know what to do. We, we find stories like this in Scripture. In Matthew 20, Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, and this large crowd is following him, and two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when you were blind in that era, in that time, in that, ta- uh, that day, then you, you had two options. Somebody fed you, or you begged. These are the only two things you could do. And so most likely they were begging, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd was like, shut up. Sure. And they rebuked them and told them to be quiet, which caused them to shout louder. I kind of like these guys. You know, you're not the boss of me. And so they shout louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And desperation will cause us to do such things. If you didn't hear me when I, I'm at this tone, then I'm going to raise my voice a little. And they raised their voice, and Jesus heard them, and he said, what do you want me to do? And they said, we want our sight. And there are times when we are devoted because we are, uh, we are having a mountaintop experience, and sometimes we get more devoted when there's trouble. I've got a great friend named Derek Young Guy. And, and he was in his, I think, late 30s, and he was diagnosed with cancer. And when he was diagnosed with cancer, he changed his diet. He changed his uh, exercise routine. He changed his stress, how stressed he was. Because when you're desperate, you might do something like this, like this Nazarite vow. And so God's saying, hey, if you want to do a Nazarite vow, this is what you do. Now, it's kind of interesting. There are things you give up, and there are things you give. 
So let's talk about what you give up. If you were going to be a Nazarite back in the day, and if you want to be one today, uh, you would give up fermented drink. This would be really easy for me because I never drink anything fermented, but not so much in that culture. And he says, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as they remain under the Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skin. And the idea is, in the fermentation process, that is a decaying process, and God is saying, I don't want anything decaying to enter your orbits, your, your, your body. And again, this is quite difficult in Jesus' day, or in the Old Testament, because they didn't have water treatment plants. It's not like you could go get a bottle of water, it spinks, you know? You, you, you were constantly worried about what you drank, if what you drank was going to give you some, some sort of bacteria. I, I mean, I can't imagine, we take clean water for granted. It, it is like we just take it for granted. But I've been on mission trips, and they'll say to you, don't brush your teeth with the water that comes out of the faucet. Use bottled water to brush your teeth. <laughs> I just don't brush my teeth. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> it's like, is it that much trouble? Forget it. You know, but anyway, uh, we take it for granted that it's just going to be there for us. Well, it wasn't there for them. And, and so fermentation sort of uh, killed the bacteria, and, and it was something that you could drink and with some relative uh, um, certainty that you wouldn't get sick from it. But think about it. They, 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 they drank wine around celebrations, festivals, parties. It was uh, emblematic of joy. And so these people who took the vow, and again, you chose to, it, it, it was your choice, you didn't have to, but you would choose to, and then you'd have to give this up. And you were saying, I'm going to give up some of the pleasures in life for this. Now, Christians kind of do it today. There's something, there's a season called Lent, and we don't celebrate it in the Baptist faith so much, but there are certain uh, denominations that do. And Lent, not to be confused with L-I-N-T, that's what's in your belly button, uh, and not to be confused with L-E-N-D-T, which is that chocolatier, uh, uh, L-I, I don't know how that's spelled, the chocolatier from Switzerland that makes the truffles, those are great. Lent is a season where you give something up or you put something on. So some people will say, okay, for Lent, I'm not going to watch television for 40 days. It's a 40-day season. There's a, there's a time period. Or I'm not going to eat chocolate for 40 days. Or I'm not going to go to McDonald's for 40 days. So you give something up, whatever it is. Or it could be, all right, so for these 40 days, I'm going to read through the New Testament. Or I'm going to read the Gospels. Or I'm going to get a book and I'm going to read it and I'm going to study it and it's going to get me closer to Jesus. Because the idea around Lent is I'm going to either give something away, stop doing something, for a season, or I'm going to add something for a season that will make me closer to God. That's what Lent is. Every Lenten season, I give up the four C's. Every Lenten season, I do this. I, I give up uh, cheese, <laughs> casseroles, cucumbers, and kumquats. Uh, I'll, I'll, it's a K, I know. Uh, I knew somebody would, it's a K. All right, it's a K. Uh, anyway, I... You, what Lent is, it's giving something up that you, you actually like. And, and so there's these seasons. So if God were to say to you, if you give this thing up for a season, we could be closer. 
Uh, or if God were to say, if you would do this for a season, we could be closer. In, in your mind, what would it be? Uh, don't, don't, just don't answer. I, just, I want you to think about it. What, what things would, would God say to you, okay, if you, if you would get rid of this or if you would add this, then our relationship would be stronger? Because I think most of us know there are things keeping us from having the best relationship with God that we can have. There are things like that. And so this, this act of devotion, this season of devotion that we could be involved in would be giving something away. Now, the second thing, you had to give up fermented drink. You had to not get a haircut. Weird. Uh, during the entire period of the Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the, uh, until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. They must let their hair grow long. Now that makes a lot of sense if your Nazarite vow, if the vow you commit to is really a long amount of time. But some of these are 30 days. Well, dude, I can go 30 days without a haircut and you're never going to notice. I could probably go 60 days. I might go 90 days and you wouldn't notice. I mean, I'd be shaggy, but I wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't really notice. So most experts believe that at the beginning of the vow, you would shave your head and then you'd let the hair grow for however many days you commit to. So Nazarite vows, there's really no restriction on how long it is or how short it is. Uh, you read about 30-day ones, 60-day ones, 90-day ones. There's one lady who uh, took a vow for seven years. Samson, we mentioned, that was a lifetime vow. So his, the notion was that that's why he lost his power, because uh, he had uh, drank fermented things. Uh, he had touched the dead body. We're going to get to that in just a second. And he had cut his hair. And so the idea around hair, it's like, why? Well, the ancients believed hair was sort of this symbol of vitality and growth. Did you know hair grows every day, no matter what you do? For, for most of us. Uh, uh, it grows. In fact, when you die, your hair continues to grow. It's kind of creepy, but it's true. And so the ancients thought, okay, well, this is a symbol of growth. And so, let's say you shaved your head, and then 90 days later, you have 90 days worth of hair, and you shave that off. So what would happen? They would do this, and then they would take this hair as a sacrifice, and they would put it on the altar as a, 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 altar, a offering to God. For this 90 days, or 30 days, or 7 years, or whatever it was, I was devoted completely, as much as I could be, to you. That was the notion around it. It was... Obvious, but not ostentatious. It was something that you would... I mean, if one day, if I come in here one day and my head is shaved, you're going to notice, right? You're going to notice that because that's not normal for me. And so people would know it. It wasn't something to be paraded or, hey, look at me. You wouldn't wear a sign. Hey, I'm on a vow. You know, you wouldn't do that. But it was something that people would notice. They, it was obvious, but not ostentatious. It's like going on a diet and not posting it to Instagram, you know? Not telling anybody, not putting it on Facebook. You, you go on a diet, you tell your spouse, maybe a couple of friends to keep you accountable, and that's it. And so it's, it's kind of a, it's a private devotion that you let some people in on. That, that's what the Nazarite vow was about. There's this element of community that's involved. We're going to get to it in just a second. Now, there are times when God wants us to be public with our devotion. 
If anyone acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will openly acknowledge that person before the, the Father, my Father in heaven. Jesus said that. We, uh, as Baptists, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, uh, we, we uh, practice something called believer's baptism. It is an outward expression of an inward commitment that we make. The Nazarite vow was an outward expression of an inner commitment. We do baptisms two or three times a year. If you're interested after the service or sometime, you can come and, and hang out with me for a second and tell me, and we'll talk about it. thing about our church is... If you want to do a, if you have a baptism, we have one scheduled for a couple of months from now, but if you want to do it tomorrow, we can, we'll just set up a tank. I mean, we can do that. And so there are times when we want to publicly express our devotion to the Lord. It's not a, hey, look at me kind of thing. It is a, hey, I'm doing something special for the Lord. The third thing is you couldn't contact, come in contact with any dead body. And what's the, the, the verse 7 is the interesting thing here. Uh, you don't touch a, a dead body, even if it's your own father or mother or brother or sister. And so, if you went into this, you would probably want to chat it up with your parents. Hey, if, if I take this vow and you, are to, if you pass away, I can't come to the funeral. I, I can't come to that. Because my devotion during this Nazarite season is going to be to God above all other things. And you might be thinking, well, that's kind of harsh. Yeah, <laughs> there's some harshness to this. Jesus said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. There's an aspect to our devotion to the Lord that it has to be predominant above everything else. And there are missionaries today who go from here to someplace else, a foreign country, and they miss seasons with their family. They don't come back for every holiday. They don't come back for every anniversary. They don't come back for every birthday. I've got a daughter. She's not on mission, but she's living in Switzerland. And for all of her life, every Christmas we've been with Mallory for Christmas, but not this year. And that is a sacrifice that people were willing to make in the Nazarite world. They would say, hey, we're willing to do this. And you talk it, you talk it, uh, discuss it with your family. Hey, is it okay? This is, what my, this is where my heart is, but it's going to cost you too. And every missionary that's ever gone any place, it's cost the family too. Because we don't get to be with them when we really want to. And so there would have had to be a discussion. By the way, this is much more difficult, uh, not touching a dead body, in an era where there weren't hospitals or retirement homes. Uh, you were born at home, and you lived at home, and you died at home. And so this would almost be like if you were a kid, and you took a Nazarite vow, and one of your parents got sick, you'd move out, afraid that you would break your vow if they were to die. Very serious. Our devotion to Jesus is serious. So there were these three things they gave up, and then they had to give some things. So let me, there are a couple of verses here, a couple of uh, slides. At the conclusion of their time of separation as Nazarites, they would each offer their sacrifices to the Lord. And here's the sacrifices a one year old male lamb without defect for a burnt offering a one-year-old female lamb without defect for a sin offering, a ram without defect for a peace offering, 
together with a grain offering, a drink offering, a basket of bread made with the finest flour and without yeast, thick loaves with olive oil mixed in, and thin loaves brushed with olive oil. And I gave you all of it to say this. The Nazarites had to give a very costly offering. One animal for a family was a lot. Every year they offered an animal to to God for the forgiveness of sins. This Nazarite at the end of this would not only offer one, but three. And, And you just didn't have a ram tied up around back. I mean, they were super expensive. And then you had all of the the bread and all that stuff. And the idea is, it was so expensive, you couldn't do it by yourself. You'd have to have help. The costliness is staggering. And and Jesus talks about this. He said, don't store treasures for yourselves here on earth. Moth and rust destroy them. Thieves can break into your house and steal them. Instead, save for your, your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moth and rust, and thieves don't break in and steal. And Miriam and I, we have, I mean, anybody older probably has some sort of a retirement account, and and we're banking money so that when we retire, we're going to have something to live on. Well, Jesus is saying, okay, but you need to be banking some things in eternity. And and so every time, we we have an eternal 401k, if you will, every time... We, we serve others in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, it's like you give it to me. When we serve others, we serve God. And so the Nazarite needed help. He gave an expensive or she gave an expensive offering with the help of the community. Somebody had to come alongside them because they couldn't have afforded that on their own. Most people couldn't. And, and so that's why I love being a Southern Baptist because Southern Baptists... We have something called the cooperative program, and there are 40,000 Southern Baptist churches, and we all, uh, maybe most of us can't sponsor a missionary, but we can all put our money into a pool, and that pool of money can sponsor missionaries. That's what the cooperative program does at Southern Baptist. We put our money together with other people, other churches' money, and we are able to send out missionaries, both in the United States and overseas. And we as a church, we sponsor church plants and we sponsor mission trips. And we get to be a part of serving others by our gifts. And sometimes I'll make a pitch. Hey, we need this. we got a kid that wants to go to camp. And you guys are great. This church is exceptional when it comes to giving. And so we send mission teams and that sort of thing happens. And there's this interesting... This interesting story in Acts 21. So you know how Acts is kind of divided. The first part of Acts, the the key player is Simon Peter, Jesus' good friend. And then toward the end of Acts, starting in about Acts 13 to the end, uh, it's more about Paul, the Apostle Paul. So Peter does some stuff, and then Paul kind of becomes the key character in the book of Acts. And Paul is a guy who persecuted Christians... And then Jesus miraculously saved him, and he became a a church planter and and a stalwart in the church. But just because you follow God closely doesn't mean people aren't going to talk bad about you. And so Paul shows up in Jerusalem, and um, there's been some Facebook chatter about him, and they talk about it. 
The Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you're teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law of Moses. You're not even a Jew anymore, dude. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their kids or follow other Jewish customs. And then they sort of rhetorically ask themselves, what should we do? And they came up with a plan. Uh, They'll certainly know that you've come, so this is what we're going to do. We have four men here who have just completed their vow, their Nazarite vow. Go with them to the temple. Join them in the purification ceremony. We just saw the ceremony, right? Help help them with that. Because not only would taking three animals and all that stuff be costly, it would be difficult to do by yourself. So help those dudes. Go help them. And then pay for their heads to be shaved. Who knew you had to pay for that? Even back then, they had barbers. Uh, Then everyone will know that the rumors are false, that you're not against the Jews. This is a sign of devotion. And so just this past week, we had a chance to send a team of youth to Longs, South Carolina. So Josiah's coming. We're going to show a video. Watch this. But you're going to talk about what they did. All right, so we sent how many kids? We sent eight. Eight. Is this on? Ah, Eight kids. Eight kids. Five boys, three girls. Yes. And... um, so we worked with River's Edge Church. Yes. Now that's pretty close to Myrtle Beach. It's about 30 minutes. It's in Long, South Carolina, so it's 30 minutes uh, north of Myrtle Beach. It's in the backstrap of South yes. Carolina. Yes. yes. Okay, great. <laughs> and um, they had how many kids attend the camp? Is they had, camp, uh, right? Yeah, they had about 75 give or take, uh, more or less. And they're, so, not even a, they're not even a year old. No, they, uh, they just launched in October. So our kids... They just sat around, played pinochle. No. What did they do? Tell us what no, they did. No, so our kids were actually, uh, they did really great. So um, our kids were in charge of the groups. There were, uh, the, the groups were divided by age. And so a lot of our, uh, our students were in charge of those groups, getting them, taking them from uh, point A to point B. They had uh, coaches there. We had three sports, basketball, soccer, and baseball. And our kids were responsible for taking their group to each uh, place at uh, given times. And then they had uh, break times. And at those break times, uh, they had a list of questions that they were to ask their kids uh, based off of the large group time uh, where Ross, uh, the church planning pastor there, um, led the large group time uh, in a Bible story and kind of just break it down. That was, that was their job. So uh, Ross told us that if, if it hadn't been for our kids, they would have been in real trouble. Yeah, right? yeah. So uh, they, had some, they had some help from Living Waters, which is their uh, sending church. Um, but if, if, if we didn't go, um, there wouldn't have been anybody to take the kids from point A to point B. Like our, our kids, and you'll see them in the video, but our kids were with uh, these, these kids, uh, taking them from places, leading them in the, in the questions and doing all that stuff. So they were really crucial to the to the development of the sports but camp. the girls were really better than the boys right uh, working uh, i can't say yeah, okay. right, on that but, but there's one girl that was really good uh, uh from what i hear yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no you names can have your name opinions on that okay yeah okay you can have your opinions yeah, on yeah. i have an opinion i do <laughs> brand loyalty uh, <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> yeah yes so we were able to send you to camps and to trips. It's the first one. From yeah, this our is uh, this. Uh, from my understanding, this is the first mission trip that our student ministry has done. Um, so it was really good for them. Really yeah. good for them. So did you see um, our kids, our youth, 
like, did they develop spiritually? Did you see? I mean, they they did. They took on responsibilities that were usually adults' responsibilities. Yeah, they did take on adult responsibilities. And for them, I think it was really good. Um, One thing that Ross uh, and I both kind of drove into them at the beginning of the week while we were there is to show these kids love because they have never they've never heard of Jesus. They've never been to church, um, and they don't know what. Jesus is who he is what we believe and all that kind of stuff so show them love and I encourage them all week every day just show these kids love build relationships with them um, make friendships and by the end of the week uh, they'd come in not knowing any of these kids names they left knowing every single name Hunter had a, a handshake with every single one of his kids in his group and we even had kids there that told our students like we are so excited. We're so happy you were here, and we can't wait for you to come back next year. Um, and I think for our kids, that was super, super impactful for them um, because they saw some fruit from what they were doing because by the end of the week, they were tired. I mean, they were, as Ross put it, they were crushed. And I think to hear that and to see that from where they started Monday morning and where they were Thursday afternoon, it was a really big thing for them. Yeah. So we as a church, you can go. Uh, we as a church get to help them. Ah. Thank you, Josiah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we as a church, we help send those kids. It didn't cost the kids anything to go, but we budget for that, and then we take up offerings for that. And so we get to be a part, just like Paul was a part of uh, those guys that were finishing their vow. We all get to be a part. Sometimes God will say give, and sometimes God will say go. And then sometimes God doesn't say either, and it's okay. I hope that I've been your pastor that you know every time I make a pitch, I try to remember to say, if God is leading you to do this, because I never want to guilt you or shame you into a blessing. It's not my job. But we've got people that if we were to say, and we do this sometimes, I've got a kid who doesn't have enough money to go to camp. Can you help? We've got people in our church, all you have to do is ask. Sometimes they'll come to you and say, hey, if you need anything, let me know. God is looking for people who are devoted. And he says here in 2 Corinthians, Dear friends, we should make ourselves pure, free from anything that makes our body and soul unclean. He's saying, friends, there are times, there are seasons of devotion where you get rid of some things. You put off some things. And maybe not just for a season, maybe forever. And then he says, we should try to become holy in the way we live. You put off some things and you put on some things. And I I don't know what God is saying to you, particularly today. We're always to be devoted. But there are seasons where God draws you into a closer relationship. And he's saying, he's whispering in your ear, and maybe that's some of you today. And he's saying, if you would just stop doing this, we could be closer. And if you would just start doing this, we would be closer. And we get in a routine, and we do the same thing every day, and we get up at the same time every day, and we eat the same thing every day, and we do the same stuff every day, and we come home and we get on the couch and watch television every day, And God might be saying to you today, it's time to do something special. This is a season for something new. And we can be closer.
if you, if you do. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this picture of devotion from the Old Testament. I think a lot of us didn't even know it was there, and there it is. And Thank You for showing us a way to be more devoted. We pray it and we thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.